And hello, everybody. Welcome to Narrative on a Tuesday night. And it's a very special show we have tonight. We're going to be taking a very deep look at what happened on January the 6th again. I think it was maybe done 16 hours on, on this very topic. But this way we do, we're doing something very different tonight because we're going to take a look at the team around Michael Flynn in particular and who they are and why they might present quite a big threat to the Republic as they continue to believe that Donald Trump is the official winner of the November elections, which of course he isn't. I'm joined tonight by George Black, the celebrated and brilliant writer and author. How are you, George? Nice to see you. Very well. That's too flattering by half, though, but uh, thank you. I almost gave you a Pulitzer Prize yesterday, so it's a half step down from that. (laughs) (laughs) And from Sweden is Jacob Ravner, who's one of these brilliant uh, crowdsource people that have been doing such great work on the internet and on Twitter, identifying who the people were January the 6th who stormed the Capitol. And uh, he's here to help us share some information from his group that is truly remarkable. So we'll take a a deep look at the people around Michael Flynn and the threat that they play or or they face for the, the Republic. But George, I want to start with you, if you could, because your next book is about Vietnam. And when I saw your piece about Vietnam in particular, I was really interested in how you thought the two connected. And it's, you, there's a real through line in your piece there about, about the way Vietnam connects to January the 6th. It's in The Spectator. Tell us a little bit about how you see those things connect. Well, I think the first thing to understand about this movement that we're dealing with now around Trump, Stop the Steel, Michael Flynn, QAnon, it has very deep roots. And... In essence, it grew, in my view, as long traditions in American politics of paranoia, of racism, nativism, anti-immigrant feeling, the John Birch Society, McCarthyism, Father Coughlin in the 30s. But the way that I understand the Vietnam experience is that a much clearer ideology, if you want to call it that, began to grow out of Vietnam, which was that the United States had been betrayed by an enemy within. And that phrase is significant because the military swear an oath that on entering the service, they will defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. So I began to look at the idea that starting really in 1968, when the course of the war turned against the United States, the feeling that the press were not reporting the war as it should have been reported, and that politicians were not doing the right thing to support the military, it began to morph into a conspiracy theory, which was that the media was not just pursuing a different agenda than the military, it actually was actively hostile. And when the United States failed to win the war in Vietnam, what prevented it from doing so was this collusion between the media, the liberal media, and cowardly politicians who basically stabbed the military in the back. And I think from that starting point, which brings in, as I say, a lot of earlier stuff going back to the 30s and to the 19th century for that matter, it morphs over time into a set of conspiracy theories, the common feature of which is that the United States, the Constitution, our system of government is under mortal attack from a coalition of external enemies, but the main problem is the domestic enemies, those who give aid and comfort to a succession of external enemies. And they change over time. In the 50s, 60s, it was the Russians, it was the Communist Party, it was the International Communist Conspiracy. It morphed from that into, more recently, 
successive waves of anti-immigrant feeling, particularly anti-Islamism. And a lot of the groups that have emerged during the Trump years use the language that first really arose in Vietnam. They described the Islamist refugee flow, the flow of Muslim migrants into Europe in 2015. This is in the case of the Oath Keepers as the Tet Offensive of Islam. Mm. The First Amendment Praetorian, which we're going to talk about tonight, also invokes the language of the Tet Offensive, 1968, as the moment when things turned against America. As far as election fraud is concerned, I think an important thing to say, and maybe this is heretical, is that the people who are, if you like, the intellectual leaders of this set of conspiracy theories, they're not stupid people. They don't, I don't believe that most of them really truly believe that the election was stolen or that there was significant fraud. I think that election fraud, because of how it resonates with the Republican Party base and with Trump supporters, is the necessary vehicle. If you invoke that, it opens the door to allow you to do a lot of things. Right. And the things they want to do, I think what we're seeing now are they may not believe in election fraud, but they do actually sincerely, passionately believe that America is under mortal threat. They see the future of the Republic being at stake, and they identify the main two ingredients of what makes America unique as being the First and Second Amendments. Mm -hmm. And within the First Amendment, a huge amount of that being about freedom of religion and religious expression. But the First and the Second Amendments go together. It's freedom expressed through freedom of speech and religion supported by the Second Amendment, which gives them guns. And I think all of these groups like First Amendment Praetorian fit within that larger framework to some degree. I think the connection you're making between the oath that they take and when they start their service um, and their ability to feel relevant and entitled to do what they're doing now in terms of the military being involved in some ways or the former vets being involved in, in some ways in the insurrection and in the actions that are continued to be planned and executed, it gives them sort of permission. If they have the stop the steal, if they have a cheated election, then it gives them a permission to activate. And that is what it seems to be exactly what's happened with this first amendment Praetorian, which is a group that is fairly new. I believe they only started in September of 2020. And Jacob, could you tell us a little bit more about who they are and, and why they're so significant? We started in January, actually before, because they had this declaration in um, Christmas Eve, the petition that you're going to talk about later. We didn't pay much attention to them, just looked at them as the really crazy former soldiers, special forces, most of them. But then I realized that they are more or less in baby coming out of the Green Barrett organization, the biggest soldiers of forces organization in the USA. So I look at, today I look at them as uh, an offspring from there, uh, with the crazy ones, the really radical ones, and I've been listening a lot to Robert Patrick Lewis and some other ones around him, and scary talk. They don't want us there. They want to see the United States of America as we see it today. For me here, they are the enemy of the society, the Western society, as we know. You've, you've created this incredible flow force uh, chart here, which shows people how the First Amendment Praetorian actually connects to all these other organizations that were involved. And at the top there, you see the Willard Hotel, which has become the subject of a lot of speculation. What was really going on at the Willard Hotel, which is where we know Roger Stone stayed, Rudy Giuliani stayed there, uh, 50 others apparently stayed there. And some people think that was the, the command and control maybe of the whole operation. 
And it's, it's from the Willard that we fan out and we discover all these other organizations. And some of them we know about, like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. We've certainly covered a lot of their work and, and they're very well known in, in, in the uh, public sphere. Some people have heard of For Vets for Trump, but that's also another big organization involved in, in bringing all these vets and military people to the Capitol on January oh, yeah. the 6th. Blackwater, of course, people know because of Eric Prince. But the First Amendment Praetorian, which you've given, given the biggest spot there, is probably the most important of all of those. They function as a bodyguard unit, really. That's their primary goal, is to be bodyguards for, for the VIPs, for the Roger Stones, Alex Jones of the world. But really, they were there doing a lot of other things. So can you tell us a little bit about all these groups and what they were doing while saying they were there for security? Were they really there for security? They've been working security in uh, rallies uh, pre-January 6th, several of them. They've been assigned as Flynn's personal security detail. Mm-hmm. There's one of them that we're going to talk about later. He's, all, he's at all rallies. Every time Flynn is around, he's, he's at with Flynn January 5th in the hotel and so on. And we also have him on Capitol Hill. But as a group, they connect with all the other ones. So they overlap. At the moment, we look at them as the main force that glues everything together because they have connections with the Blackwater guys, the security corporations that are on the permits for the rallies. They overlap with Brett for Trump. Brett for Trump is, when it comes to number of people and organizations, the one with the most connections on January 6th. When it comes to numbers, people on the ground in Dicers, people on the ground with inner pieces and radios, long-range radios, not these small ones, long-range military side radios. At the moment, we are looking at First Amendment towards us. We've been following the money, we've been following the contact. We look at them as the glue. And when I look at Oath Keepers, I look at them as a subcontractor to First Amendment Praetorians because in the pre-rallies and at the Willard and so on and so on, they've been working together. Two of the Oath Keepers are First Amendment Praetorians. Both Minota and Joshua James are First Amendment Praetorians because they've been working security with First Amendment Praetorians on several occasions before, just as that's for Trump. Mm. That's the, uh, and together with the, some of the people from the security corporations, that are on the permit, and some of the guys, that the Blackwater guys that are running along with Jones, they've been working together on several occasions pre-January 6th. That's a nice picture to show all of them. This is a really good uh, slide, because what it actually shows you is how many of these uh, groups are surrounding Flynn in just one of the, I think this was on January the 6th, it may not be January the 6th. So this picture is December 12th. Okay, December 12th. But these guys have been with Flynn, surrounding him for a long period of time, and they do yeah. this, the security every weekend with him, no matter which event he might be at. Yeah. And what you're seeing here is a First Amendment Praetorian there, they see the SEC Corp, Joe Flynn, his brother. But these are the same people week after week who support Flynn and who surround him and also raise money for him and, and who enable him. That's- that started in, if I remember correct, July. Mm-hmm. They started to work together. So uh, the two free rallies pre-January uh, six. We look at them as sort of dry runs. How to work together? Who's who? Get to know each other. Uh, they had plenty of time to uh, to talk about what to do on January six. Right. They certainly did plan a lot for January six. It seems all all of them did together. So the one way to look at this is to look at each of these individual characters together. There's one of them that does is not part of the First Amendment Praetorian that that shows up a, a lot in your work. His name is Thomas Special. I think I'm saying it correctly. Maybe I'm not. He is a 
current employee of the American government. He's an, in the army. <laughs> he works for the yeah. counterterrorism uh, center. Still there right now, even though he was yeah. on January the 6th, uh, speaking to crowds and encouraging a rebellion. And that kind of thing is stunning to me, but somehow he's still in place. I'm going to play you a little bit of tape that looks at him throughout the day that your team has put together here. And it's really fascinating. It shows you him speaking, but then it shows you him trying to at least get into the capital throughout the day, not actually succeeding. He's blocked by tear gas at the end. But let's take a look at, at what he did. And we'll talk over the bits where we can, and we'll let you listen to, to Thomas as he incites the crowd first at the top of the, at the beginning of the January 6th event. He's just there before they, before they start the march. So here we go. So that's him right there in the black cap at the back and there's his speech and they should be because if this doesn't go the right way i'm afraid of what the following days will hold and for the last 20 years i have studied those bloody days all around the world and they are fools to think it couldn't happen here Unbelievable from a working army warrant officer. There he is approaching with his uh, staff. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. He's leading oath keepers there. Oh, that's a stack of oath keepers that are walking in. Yeah. Okay. And you'll see uh, there's a freeze frame of him and you can make him out right over yeah. here. There's, there he is again. As in he tries to make it in. They're trying to get their way into the capital. Now they're trying to go around the other side, I think. And they are approaching this gate here. And then there's tear gas that sends them away. And then lo and behold, Russian TV's over there. So uh, why not give Russian TV a clip? the shows your media you trust. <laughs> right, it's the media that you will talk to. It doesn't belong to them. This building does not belong to them. It is ours. I mean, really terrific stuff from your team there, putting all that together. And just imagine the amount of hours of video you have to look at to, to pull all that together oh. from every single angle. <laughs> it must be sensational amount of work. And, and to be able to track each individual as, they, as you've done so well, that is amazing. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a team effort. I, I, be, I had my team. We were about five, six international from Europe and the United States. And then uh, a couple of, uh, not so long ago, we joined forces with other teams as well as to share data. And mm -hmm. share inshallah and then just boom now George, going back, people every day yeah it's amazing a really incredible effort george you're you're it really connects to what you were saying earlier about that resentment that sort of spawned out of vietnam this guy's he's in the army and he's listen to him talk like that it's it's unbelievable i'm less concerned by what they're saying which is inflammatory and if, if you want to say it unbelievable i'm more trying to focus right now 
first of all, let me back up. And again, I'll be a little heretical here. I think we know a huge amount of, about January 6th. Mm-hmm. And I think we know a lot of things that help to illuminate what's going on. But I think looking back at January 6th is actually a mistake. To me, what's happened since January 6th is enormously more important. If you look at the military, which is what we're talking about, <clears throat> there's one, there's a couple of cardinal things to say about the military who are involved in this. The first is that within, I've talked in general about the oath to defend the constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, which all soldiers take on enlistment. Within the military, there are elite units. They have a very self-conscious idea of themselves as pilots of one elite. They're the top guns. A lot of the people who came out of Vietnam with the most aggressive right-wing views of conspiracy were actually pilots. Special forces and airborne rangers, airborne units are others. They grow up with the idea that they have special skill sets. They are the elite within the elite. They have special capacities. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, I think what you're doing is very important about identifying who is who and who was there on January 6th. But I also have a tendency to think that January 6th was amateur hour. I don't Mm -hmm. see it as this thing that was planned with great sophistication. I think a lot of it was a mess. I think a lot of people were way out of their depth. I think there were some very determined and people, if you want to call them leaders within this movement, who were present. And certainly Flint is really the main character in my mind. But I think the important thing about the military is when they don't succeed on the battlefield. And this was a failure. This was a failed insurrection. And the first thing the military does when it loses a battle is it reevaluates its tactics and strategy. And it says, okay, what do we learn from this? What do we do next? How do we avoid the same mistake? How do we get better people? Because a lot of the people who were arrested, they're the dregs. They're not the military elite. They're, They're truck drivers and cooks and they're nobodies which is not to say there weren't special forces in there, Green Berets, people who are important to what we're talking about. But I don't know how much attention, I I, I wasn't aware of this guy Special or Speciali or whatever his name is. I read a bit about him when his name came up and I gather that he's a failed Republican candidate for office in Virginia. There are others who are in much, much more senior positions. And I guess in a way what I'm trying to look at right now is the process of convergence between the boots on the ground, the military, highly trained military who as it were are held in reserve should the situation demand them to come in with their special skills. Mm -hmm. And this is where Lewis, the leader of the creator of the First Amendment Praetorian to me is significant because he very explicitly talks this language of the special forces. He says that the unique feature of the special forces is the 12 man operational detachment alpha. Mm -hmm. It's an elite group within the elite. And he says one 12 man ODA can take down a nation. Now, they're the bodyguards to Flynn, and that's enormously significant. They're there in reserve, and I'm not even sure they want to go out and spill blood in the streets. I think they're totally ready to do so. But I think what they would much rather do is to use this coalescence of forces that there is now since January 6th to take control of the Republican Party, to win the 2022 congressional elections. And they are very focused on how to do that. And it involves really very senior people, some of whom are already in the Congress and sympathizers are already in the Congress. One of the figures who jumps out at me is uh, retired Admiral Ronnie Jackson. He was Trump's 
chief medical advisor in the White House, if you recall. Yeah. Um, he was drummed out for various kinds of alleged misconduct and mismanagement. He now is the elected representative of the 13th district in Texas, last November. He won on a platform which included bringing traitors to justice from the deep state. There are people who are running for the Senate in 2022. There's a man called Don Bolger, who I think is a, somebody who merits a huge amount of attention because of the connections he has. He was in the 82nd Airborne with Mike Flynn. And that's something sometimes I think people forget about Flynn. He's an Airborne Ranger mm -hmm. by training. They were in Grenada together. He's a Flynn's generation. His first endorsement he, in his he, run for the Senate. He, Bulldog is also in West for Trump organization. Justice yes. Kennedy, Trump's advisor. So it's a very powerful organization. Where Th Thomas is just one of the samples on the ground. Yeah. He's just a soldier. That's for Trump. I don't know how many we have on, on the ground. It's 20, 30, 40. I don't know. You know before we, we, get have to... more first, we have more first Indian Pretoria on the scene. We decided not to disclose a few of them because the reports the FBI has been sent in just a few days ago. We have First Amendment Praetorians within the tunnel fight. We have First Amendment Praetorians live streaming the events from at least two sides of the building. We have First Amendment Praetorians walking around with radios, what, 360 around the building. Uh, and there's more. There is a lot more. Stay tuned. We just started to release our results a week ago. Right. Well, so I can't think it would just be, push be, everything be, out there. Then uh, people will say, "No, this is too much." We have. I to think it would be really instructive for everybody if we slow down here and just look at the First Amendment Praetorian and the leadership there, which is really Robert Patrick Lewis. You yeah. mentioned there, George. He officially called. He says they've drawn a line in the sand. He says the military, law enforcement, and and the intelligence community vets have drawn a line in the sand. He just yesterday posted uh, on Twitter this incredible tirade about, "Do you really want to take?" Back, their, uh, back and keep the Republic, truly, because the answer is relatively simple. But it will require Sunday school, turn the other cheek, American Christians and patriots to turn into Old Testament, full wrath of God, destruction of their house, and salt of the earth beneath the, them Christians. And it won't even take that many of us, just the ones who understand and have the temerity to do what needs to be done. He is still very much in a mode of revolution. He's even gone on a podcast, which is fairly well listened to, to talk about this pledge that he and five others, or at least he and four others, came up with, Allah 1776, to, to overthrow the government and the reasoning why. Here's a little short clip of, of, what, that, of what they said on that podcast. So it gives you a real sense of where their head is at. We the people will not waver our support for President Donald John Trump whose position as president was overwhelmingly re-secured in the national vote on November 3, 2020, which is now being threatened in an active coup against we the people. We the people have been and continue to be subjected to a medical police state being used to destroy business, force dystopian rules of control and policing, while using public health as a justification for silencing dissent. We therefore are establishing this line, which we will not cross count all legal votes and discard all illegal votes. Appoint a special prosecutor into all foreign entities related in any way to voting infrastructure. In the states of Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona, order a revote for the November 3, 2020 election using paper ballots and members of the military to verify voter ID, 
secure paper ballots, and conduct the ballot count in full view of the public. God bless the patriots and the digital army. So some of that has been trimmed down. So there's a lot more of it, obviously. But you get a sense there of what these guys are about. And they're not really just about January the 6th. And they're not really just about Donald Trump either. I think they're ultimately about changing the nature of this country and changing the system of rule we have here which is exactly what you wouldn't expect people to do. George? I think that rhetoric is, that's boilerplate that you're getting now at every every Flynn, Sidney Powell, my pillow guy. This is their line, mm-hmm. and that could have been taken almost word for word from it. To go back to what I was saying, the there's another aspect of what First Amendment Praetorian are arguing for, which I think has been neglected, and I think it's in common with other groups who are much more keyed into the existing power structure of the Republican Party and the evangelical Christian movement. And that is one thing that Lewis called for is an alliance with uh, patriotic, constitution-minded law enforcement officers to create resilience groups at the local level. This other group that I wrote about, which is of high-level retired officers, flag officers, generals and admirals, there was a certain amount of press attention in May when they issued a very inflammatory document echoing, again, a lot of this same language, but it focused very much on the language rather than what followed, which was a document calling for a political strategy. And that strategy, as I said before, is aimed at the grassroots of the Republican Party, and it has extremely high-level support. Now, Lewis, we can debate his importance. I think he is important. I think what he signifies is important to pay attention to. But I've been looking much more at people, like I say, like Baldock, who's running for the Senate, and even at a much higher level than that, where there is a process. Steve Bannon is huge in this process. And it's a set of alliances, a set of convergences that is bringing together essentially the established right-wing portion of the Republican Party, the ascendant insurgent membership of the Republican Party at the state and local levels, and QAnon, and Michael Flynn as the sort of symbolic figurehead. The flag officers for America, this group of retired generals and admirals, issued what I think is a, it's a pretty unprecedented statement. Retired military officers sound off about all sorts of things. They endorsed presidential candidates, 500 of them endorsed Biden. There's nothing unusual about that. Their rhetoric in this May publication was over the top. But they have this citizen's action plan for America. And it involves everything really almost literally down to the level of the dog catcher. It is about taking over local school boards, taking them out of the hands of teachers unions, and putting them into the hands of parents. It's about working closely with constitutional, quote unquote, law enforcement officers, sheriffs and others. I was talking about Don Baldock's primary endorsements for his run for Senate. The most notable, the one he announced first, is a retired general called Jerry Boykin. Jerry Boykin, his history is in the Delta Force, the elite of special forces, special operations units. He is also the executive vice president of the Family Research Council. Hmm very militantly conservative evangelical group, very deeply immersed in the culture wars headed by Tony Perkins. He's a member of the Council on National, for National Policy, which is an elite group that brings together many different currents between 
right-wing media, fossil fuel interests, conservative evangelicals, big donors. It's a hub for a lot of right-wing activity. I think all of these groups in their different ways are set on the idea that the Democratic Party is the font of all evil. It is mm. the, it, it has been taken over by the international conspiracy. Islamist, communist, whatever the hell it is today, it, it changes over time. The Democratic Party, the media, the deep state are all in the pockets of these anti-American forces. The Republican Party, backed with this kind of military and paramilitary muscle, is the bulwark against that. And soldiers have this special responsibility within that structure. But they're heading for 2022. They, the, the vote, the, the audits of the vote in Arizona, and now they want other states, is very much part of this. Voter suppression bills at the state level are very much part of this. So I, again, you know, I'm backing off here and trying to see the big picture. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're, I think you're absolutely right. Look, I think the, the, the risk... Yeah, it's, it's the same network. But the thing which I, which people are, are maybe is important to underline is that the military has for the longest, well, since January the 6th at least, been let off the, the hook, if you will, in terms of its involvement in January the 6th. There's not been any focus on military members, really. Lots of them have been arrested in, in, if they were doing something violent. But the, the rank and file, at least the, the brass at least, of the military was not looked at. And I, as far as I'm aware, is not being looked at. And yet I think that this, yeah. these special operating forces who are themselves quite senior, who form this First Amendment Praetorian, and, the, and their people who are above them, all the way up to Chris Miller, pretty much, it looks to me, involved in a plot to overthrow the government. That it wasn't just the crowds that showed up, the people that showed up on January the 6th, that up and all the way up to the very, very top, maybe not the very top, but close to the very top, there was there were people involved in making sure that day would go the way it did. And that they're still there and they're continuing to do what they've or what they did then. They'll continue to allow these events to go on. And until then, the coup really isn't over, or the coup attempt isn't over, or the insurrection isn't over. We're still in the middle of something quite significant. And maybe it'll take another election that doesn't that require an audit. And maybe that's what they'll bring in the military to take over our election system. But we are still about one election away from losing this democracy. And it's partly because we're not taking a look at the military. Partly because we're not taking a look at the military brass here and trying to figure out what their role and responsibilities were on January 6th. And why there's also, frankly, a failure to investigate a lot of these senior people up until now. You're talking about retired people. I'm not talking about retired people. I'm talking about people who were there that day who were delaying the National Guard. I'm talking about people um, like Charles Flynn or who who had to leave the meeting um, you know, early to tell somebody something. I'm talking about Chris Miller, who's issued that memo two or three days before saying the National Guard couldn't be properly armed and suddenly changing the way you could give that command to bring in the National Guard. And these people were all somehow involved and at least aware. And we know from Bill Barr just yesterday in the Atlantic piece that he was not ready to go down this road. And so he quit. And the implication there is that the other people who were still there knew what was going on, had planned for it. I mean, it's not like this was a secret on January. The six people knew this was coming. And maybe the, the surprise is that they weren't prepared for it, but maybe that wasn't really a surprise. Maybe they were planning not to be prepared so they could actually allow something of this significance to go on. And so maybe that was part one. Maybe we're still going to see part two and part three. Well, I think it was part two. I think part one was Michigan. Right, right. That I was think the, uh, the occupation of the state capital in Michigan was the rehearsal for this. Yeah. I don't know. There is a huge amount more to know for sure. And I'm, I'm not when I said we should be looking forward, not back, mm. I didn't mean to say for a moment that we shouldn't be digging deeper into exactly who did what 
when, on, and before January 6th. And you're naming some of the people, yes, we need to know a lot more about what actually happened. One, one um, thing, when you look at the network here, when we look at the people on the ground, people above them, all the way from Miller down to someone like Thomas Especiale, it is striking how many of them that have background in Afghanistan within or around special forces. Right. And that goes from Mastriano in Pennsylvania to Miller. I, I can continue for well, an hour. The guy we just heard on that podcast there was a, a photographer in Afghanistan. And he wasn't in active duty he was there. Embedded he, was, in, uh, yeah. he was embedded in Canadian forces. Yeah. Okay. Right. But still, there was a lot of their... These people do come out of Afghanistan. And these people are traumatized in some ways by Afghanistan. And so they, you know, they're bringing back some baggage and they're bringing back a particular slice of, of the American war history, which most people would consider to be fairly unsuccessful along, like, along with Vietnam. So they're bringing a set of judgment and, and values that might not be applicable to every other American, but they're enforcing it into the Republican Party. It's amazing that there's been no talk whatsoever about Kubitsch. He's a Trump advisor. His organization, he's the main ambassador for Vets for Trump. Right. In local news in Virginia, there's been nothing about Amanda Chase. She's a small timer, but her personal security details are present at the tunnel point. Mm -hmm. And it's not one word in media. I don't get it. Yeah, the media's failed to cover this in a big way completely. George, you want to finish that thought and then we've got to take a break. Go ahead and finish what you're about to say. No, I was going to say about the military, I agree with you that the media has done a very poor job of this. And we can discuss why that is. I think they, they see shiny objects and they chase them. They go down rabbit holes. They, there was a piece yesterday, not to pick holes at NPR in particular, but there was a piece yesterday on NPR and all things considered about the Proud Boys from supposedly their Washington investigative correspondent essentially suggesting that because the Proud Boys had been such a fiasco and they hadn't got anywhere, they were just doing little local politics now, going for local office in the States. And I want to tear my hair out because I was saying that is the point. <laughs> that is exactly what they're doing and it's very strategic. It's not because they're a bunch of losers who have to do this because they can't think right. anything better to do. There's <laughs> They're not the real thing, but they're certainly there to make a, a mess and, and let people notice their mess. We'll, we'll come back in a minute. We've got lots to talk about, including the person in this photo that everyone has been talking about. This was a Rudy Giuliani meeting that took place at the Willard Hotel right after the January the 6th event. It's really fascinating. We'll reveal who the guy in the white shirt is and what he was doing there. And he's very significant to this whole process. So uh, that comes up in just a minute. But I don't know if you're a cook. I don't know if you like to cook. I love to cook. I also had a real problem finding the perfect pan because it's really hard to find the perfect pan. I tried one of those cast iron skillets for the longest time. It didn't really do the thing for me because you got to clean it in a weird way. The whole seasoning is crazy. But that's why there is an amazing product that comes out now from Made In. Now, Made In makes the kind of cookware and kitchenware that are used by thousands of chefs around the world. And that's why I chose them for my new pan. They've got one that's made out of carbon steel, but it's easy to clean and it's a great tasting and it cooks everything evenly. So if quality and craftsmanship is important to you, you should check out Made In. Made In is a cookware and kitchenware brand that works with renowned chefs and artisans to produce some of the world's best pots, pans, knives, and wine glasses. It's Made In. It produces 
professional quality cookware and knives for those who love to cook, the source of the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven and their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced and stay sharp. They have 28,000 plus five-star reviews and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs in Michelin restaurants around the world. Made In, better cookware for better meals. Now, right now, Made In is offering our listeners and viewers on Narrative 15% off your first order with the promo code Narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. That's N-A-R-A-T-I-V. This is the best discount available anywhere online for Made In products. Go to madeincookware.com forward slash narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V, and use promo code N-A-R-A-T-I-V, Narrative, for 15% off your first order. That's Made In Cookware, M-A-D-E-I-N Cookware, dot com forward slash narrative promo code n-a-r-a-t-i-v now let's get back to what we were talking about a few seconds ago 